0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Asper's Casino Newcastle, home of the four-pound pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday to midday until midnight on all draft beers be gamble aware over 18s only visit begambleaware.org uh, be drink aware and for details and t's and c's visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. it's the true faith in castle united podcast i'm alex i'm joined by adam stephen and there's to talk to you about the fascinating subject to some people of the premier league uh, tightening its associ- associate party finance rules for transfers for all sorts what it means for Newcastle United where the club go from here and it gives us a general chance to have a conversation a little bit about where Newcastle lie in the in the Premier League landscape is it now 7v13 was it ever 6v14 what's Newcastle's position and what does it mean for the future the lads have very kindly joined me on this Tuesday evening to talk to you all about it so for First thing I have to, to put to you lads, um, and or come I'll come to you first, mate, is the news broke last week, I think it was that the Premier League had voted uh twelve to six. I think so I could have that wrong. There were two abstentions to tighten the already well, I assume there were already quite tight rules on um associated party transactions, um, whether that be transfers, sponsorship between parties that are ultimately owned by the same company and entity, for example, like Newcastle United and Seller. Um, This was a massive deal. Uh, When it first came in, the Premier League essentially scrambled post Newcastle United takeover to introduce this brand new rule that uh, associated party transactions had to be approved as uh, fair market value by other Premier League clubs. Because it's the Premier League, it's not very transparent. We don't have loads of information. Uh, not long after that, Amanda Staveley joined a Premier League working group to help decide on these matters, and we heard very little since. And then I think the last I remember hearing about it was the Premier, uh, the Amazon documentary involving the club. Amanda Staveley articulating how much of a blow it was to the Newcastle United project and PIF that the Premier League had brought in this rule, which which the owners of Newcastle just didn't see coming. All of a sudden, Audi, they've um, they've tightened them. Uh, why have they done that, mate? What do you think's going on here? Um, I, I, if I was a cynic, I would say possibly
2: protection of their own position for some of them. Um, I don't think Arsenal loan many players from Colorado Rapids or plan on signing many from them. Uh, I don't think that Man United suddenly think that Nice is going to be the only market they're shopping in. Uh, and certain clubs have decided that it's better to go with the vast majority... So yeah, Arsenal's yeah, Man United stand to go with Manchester City and Newcastle. Um, It's interesting because Man City obviously had some idea that this was coming straight after the transfer window because I think they went to uh, Granada and have bought. Is it Savio from Granada already? So they've signed him and they know he's coming at the end of the season. Um, they've done it for self-interest and they've done it under the belief that Newcastle are suddenly going to start raiding um, either. PIF League, which I don't think actually will happen, but it's clearly what they are pretending is going to happen, that we're suddenly going to go and get the likes of Ronaldo on loan for a month or, or whoever. Um, but actually, I think it's got more to do with us not having a Ramco plastered across the front of our shirt or whoever else it might be. They've seen what happened when you open the door. Man City bolted through it uh, for legal purposes. We should probably say that is currently unproven. But um, Man City uh, have open the floodgates what you can earn in terms of revenue, and clubs are petrified that Newcastle United will now take advantage of the same situation. Um And to be honest, there's an element which you can understand it. if we were not, if Spurs had been bought by Saudi Arabia, we'd probably be petrified that we're being left behind. Um On the flip side, I think it's very interesting that it's happened now, rather than say 10, 5 years ago when it could have happened, all of a sudden the big six are under threat, and they don't like it very much, and um, the multi club ownership model has meant that the associated club or associated company transactions are more obvious than ever. Um, and sadly, the club that are being punished the most potentially by it is us. Although I'd argue we got £30 million finance at maximum, and that was probably fair market value. So
1: uh, I'm not sure we have taken advantage of it at all. Adam. Is there a risk, as Newcastle United fans, we think it's always all about us when we may not be the most important people in the room? Like, Where do you stand on this kind of protectionist aspect or accusation towards other Premier League clubs?
3: Do you know what? I'm really glad you phrased the question that way because I was going to barrel in here with like, I know we sometimes like to think we're the most important people in the room and it's all about us. But on this occasion, it actually is all about us. Mm-hmm. Like there are two things that the established clubs, let's call them, in English football were determined and never to let happen again. One of them was Leicester City, and the other was Manchester City. Like Man City, obviously they're a famous club; they've got a long history, but they had never ever been within the sort of reaches of your Arsenal's and Man United's, your Liverpool's, even Chelsea to an extent. And how quickly they managed to get that kind of backing and to not only get a seat at the very top table, but get into a position where they literally now dominate English football. Like, if you want to win the league, you're looking to try and desperately find a season where they drop to a pitiful 80-odd points. And even as Liverpool have proved, you can go and get 90-odd points, have an almost perfect season, still not win the league. So they'd sort of determined that that doesn't happen again. And obviously, they brought those rules in well before we came to the table, you know, And they called it PPE there. I've got COVID on the brain for some reason, but um, profit and sustainability rules. They were there to basically ensure that the next time there was a big buy, that it was, they weren't able, clubs weren't able to just effectively buy themselves, you know, uh, status within the Premier League and to deny these clubs the money and the riches and the, And the accolades that come with their established position and the fact that, you know, as the leagues have grown and these clubs have gone from being, you know, the richest clubs in the country to some of the richest businesses in the world, they've been able to protect and sort of ring fence their position. Like, look at in what way can a club be as badly mismanaged as Manchester United and never even have to worry about the threat of, of relegation? You know, they never drop below sort of eighth or ninth. Arsenal. I far a they drop, like seventh or eighth? You know, the, these clubs have got the system already rigged to an extent that there is a flaw for them. They're never going to fall through. But the only thing that's ever going to potentially push them further down is by clubs effectively taking their place at the top and just, just them simply falling down the pecking order. And I think for them, four or five of these clubs was enough, which is why, obviously, the Super League conversation happened and why they brought in these rules. And, you know, to an extent, we haven't seen another League United since then. Um, so, there, you know, they can argue that it was to make sure that, you know, clubs didn't go bankrupt, chasing this poisonous dream of success. But that is very much a byproduct of, of how it's been done. They, it was purely brought in to ensure that the, the the top table did not have any seats added to it. And I mean, as we've seen, you know, we're two and a half years into this project. We've obviously spent great. We've spent, you know, the kind of money we want to spend. But the club have always been at pains to the point out we're still kind of spending what this club could have probably spent over the last 10 years if it had had any ambition. We certainly haven't thrown any money around. We certainly haven't gone out and competed with players, competed with clubs, sorry, that like, you know, for, for, for players that potentially we're going to Man United or to Liverpool. We've gone and found value in the market. We've gone and found young players. We've always had an eye, though we haven't seen it yet, that these players will be sold and the money will will be reinvested. So the simple answer is they didn't bring in these rules initially because of us, but they brought it in in case something like us happened. And we are the club that this has happened to. And the the subsequent tightening of those rules and the subsequent further restrictions are getting put on because we got into the champions league even with the deck stacked against us
4: and i'm i'm so conflicted at these kind of potential rule changes not just this one but all of them so far because if i go back 5 or 10 years in my mind as a fan you know i was absolutely livid with you know the likes of man city they were just blowing teams away and it just felt like you know what's the point as a fan of an opposition team What's the point? There's no kind of hope for anyone else. Um, apart from if you're a Leicester City fan, of course. But it just I just, you know, I'd point the finger and say, well, you know, I'm glad at least my club isn't owned by a state and that, you know, we'd be, you know, we're trying to do things the proper way. And now we fast forward to where we are. And I think, oh, actually, have I changed my mind on that now that you know we're the ones being stunted? Or do I stay true to my authentic self as a fan and say, actually, these rules are more than likely for the good of the game. Um, Now, these associated party transaction changes, pretty much the only avenue left for for Newcastle to kind of like circumnavigate the rules a little bit. It's the the one last thing the Premier League had to tighten up. And what's interesting to me is that we've never heard from PIF as to kind of what the blueprint was when they bought the club. But I would imagine they weren't... I'd imagine they weren't thinking that they were going to buy the club and grow it to a point where it became a superpower in 15 years' time. I imagine they wanted to do it a lot quicker. Maybe not exactly copy Man City's blueprint, but but do you know do do things similarly so that we can grow the club and get you know the players through the door. Uh, yeah, so I'm, it's a, I'm, as I say, I'm really conflicted. Man City alleged, I think Man City, the club, allegedly looking at this rule change and potentially arguing that it's against, it's anti-competitive or it's it's encroaching on competition law. And that's really interesting because the Premier League would say that they're bringing these rules in because they're, you know, encroaching competition law, right? It's anti-competitive. I, just, I guess from my perspective, I've been thinking about this today and it's, it depends on your perspective. Because to me, anti-competitive is basically Newcastle under the Mike Ashley era. Like, what did they do then? Like, we were basically doing nothing for all that time and not being competitive and it was fine. So I kind of, there are kind of two sides to it a little bit. And if the Premier League really, really cared about anti-competitiveness, why don't they themselves do stuff to um, try and, you know, uh, harness it instead of prohibiting clubs from trying to grow? Why not do something like redistribute the prize money and uh, invert the prize money so the team that finishes 20th gets the most money and the team that finishes top gets the least money and try and balance things out that way. Uh, it, it, to me, it doesn't quite feel like they're doing it for the good of the game, but they're kind of like maybe more, I don't know, shadier things at play politically. Not sure, but just saying that's kind of how it feels. So yeah, um. Uh, where is this all headed? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. It feels to me like, uh, through Eddie Howe's comments, I think it was pre-match in the Nottingham Forest game, he alluded to the fact that it's going to take three or four more years to see the team out on the pitch that we want to see, uh, and it may well take a lot longer if the Premier League keep kind of, um, you know, strangling all of these different avenues that we have to try and and, and not necessarily circumnavigate the rules, but just try just try and grow uh, in, in a more accelerated way. Uh, Because currently, I guess the only way we can do it is to bring players through the academy and sell them and make big profits and and be really astute in the transfer market, you know, sell our biggest players. and, And that's not really what I guess that's not really what we were expecting when the takeover happened.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Ranger for the ones who get it
2: done uh, yeah, to come back, it is like uh Eddie Howe also said Anthony Gordon wouldn't play on Saturday, and lo and behold he he, he did um I think there's, I think there's a certain element of truth in it because I do think I like you, Ez, was was quite concerned about what man City were doing, like you can't just have a team that basically plays fantasy football but by itself but Actually, it's not just Man City who were doing it, like PSG were doing it. Like, they bought Mbappe and they bought Neymar, and I think they spent like 400 million combined on the two of them. Like, that's unsustainable. That's why UEFA had to bring in the rules that they did. Um, and the market, like, like Philippe Coutinho, what did you go to Barcelona for? Like, 140 million or something. And then Liverpool could reinvest that in like six players that suddenly made them able to compete with uh, Man City. I don't think it's necessarily just state-owned. I just think the amount of money that is in the Premier League now, and the Premier League wants, it's a, it's a it's an animal for money. Like, it just is desperate for more and more and more investment. So it almost, I know you said, like, it might be a political game. It must be, because why on earth would a business start to cut off its own nose for, for forward investment for no reason whatsoever? Like, the 20 partners, people might say, oh, well, you know, uh, Luton might not like it right I, but next year they might still be in it they might not be so Luton's vote now might be very very different next year when it could be Leicester who've got three clubs who can make a load of money or used to be able to make a load of money out of the duty-free set scenario like they're going to want the money invested into themselves they're going to want to have it in so I, I, Adam's right we are being really selfish because under Mike Ashley there's no way we would have thought our oh, sports direct investing in us is a really good thing on the On the flip side, we're in a position where we can't have a lot of money invested into us. And, you know, you look at Spurs, their owner, non-owner, has just been found guilty of serious financial issues. Nobody nobody seems to be coming after Spurs for that. Nobody seems, oh, they're a completely different asset now. He's got nothing to do with him. Like, it it, it fits a narrative to say that... um, oh, Newcastle are here now and we don't want them to be able to buy their way at the top. If it's a narrative for a load of people that are, we're sorting this out now because now we can give more money to the Football League and we don't need a regulator, we can regulate ourselves. It's all a load of nonsense that they're bringing on themselves.
1: Very, very interesting points there. As if you'll allow me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think one of the points you're trying to articulate about the conflict is what might be good for Newcastle United might be bad for the game. And that's something which... Uh, you know, I struggle with a little bit, and because we are so focused on the success of the football club and bridging that tremendous gap to those above us financially uh, and on the pitch, there might be things that we want to happen that aren't good overall. But then the other kind of thing I'm getting from you lads is like, what is the Premier League and whose interest does it serve? We talk about the Premier League, well, it's 20 blokes and Amanda Stavie in a room for two days making up stuff as they go along. That's what it seems like. You know, they're locked in a room for two days, sorting things out and then they, they have to come out with a solution. Mm-hmm. One of the big fo- problems in football, I think, and this might be to Newcastle's advantage long-term is no one, no one ever really pre-plans things. No one ever really looks ahead. Like the most important game in the Premier League is the next game. You know, when, when clubs are making these decisions, I don't think they're potentially thinking too Three decades down the line, or what will football look like it's it's how do we finish in the top four next season it's how do we win the league next season and one of the one of the the, the reasons I think this tightening of rules and again because of the lack of transparency from the Premier League as a whole we, we have no idea what this means um I think it comes hand in hand with heavy rumors that profit and sustainability rules are to be relaxed and I think that I think I think everyone in the Premier League doesn't want to go through Transfer window like this again, for the reasons that you guys have articulated particularly there Audi, that it's supposed to be glamorous it's supposed to be glitzy, and deadline day was essentially a, a, a complete waste of everyone's time if anyone watched it and that's not that that doesn't bring in new viewers that doesn't um capture the imagination of people who are only half invested in the premier League or aren't currently interested there's no celebrity in that there's no excitement in financial prudence and the alleged kind of um reduction of the rules or or you know less stringent rules or, or maybe having some sort of salary to turnover cap instead of a, a loss making cap I think I think all of the league or most of the league can see that needs to happen and that just that that just brings in that protectionist vibe from those who who, who don't want Newcastle United to steal their place at the table and as you made a point there about what do PIF want and what do the club want well Weirdly, because it's Newcastle United and it were well, mental as a football club, always have been the best um, the best guide we have as a documentary on Amazon uh, to what what people want to do and what they think. And you know the the chairman um, al uh kind of the only hint so far is he said he wants the the club to be worth ten times what they paid for it, and quite quickly. That's what we've got. So they want well, they want to be worth three billion. So if you are worth three billion now, which is not a million miles away from what Chelsea were sold for. Um, you're gonna have to compete in the Champions League every single season, you're gonna have to win some Premier League and maybe some European titles. That's difficult to reconcile with, with the these tightening of these rules. And and also in the same documentary, you had Amanda Stavely saying how pissed off she was, kind of for the reason that you've all touched on there. I think I can't so I can't think of an exact quote, but the gist of it was we were 20th in the division when they changed these rules. We had no revenue. They they walked into essentially a shell. Of an organization um and they had this unexpected rule placed on them um when peter silverstone um the commercial director of the club uh is presenting the seller deal the front of shirts you know he talks through we approached 1100 companies 65 held a first meeting and then there was nine still in active conversations stavely asks when he, he talks about the seller deal they are related partner. can we defend the value that that rings true with most of the things I think we assume about associated party transactions. Now, here's my take in it, that I was fairly um, surprised when Seller was front-of-shirt sponsored, not because I didn't want them. I want the company that brings in the most money to sign as the best footballer, so my life is better when Newcastle win games. That's all I want as a fan. But considering the Premier League brought in this rule, it did feel kind of bold to be able to go in and then just bring in a related party <laughs> sponsor as front of the shirt. And they got it through the Premier League. I'm not suggesting at all Newcastle United broke any rules or did anything wrong or anything they shouldn't have done. But this tightening, it, it, it kind of takes us on to our next point quite nicely. This this tightening, it does just feel like there was a, a major shift coming in terms of PSR rules. That And, and the, the, the other Premier League clubs are caught between wanting to unburden the load so that they can sign more footballers, but also realizing that any opportunity to make massive losses for someone like Newcastle at the minute or I mean, Man City in theory are the uh, most profitable, one of the most profitable sports teams on the planet um, and have one of the highest turnovers. But I, th- I feel like the Premier League don't really have a proper combined strategy for how to deal with or protect football clubs, how to deal with a, a potential incoming regulator uh, and and also opening the door to bring back some of that glitz and glamour that huge transfer outlay brings without letting Newcastle United in and I think that's the problem and that brings us on to to the aspect of what what is the premier league and where does Newcastle sit in that because if I come to you first Adam there's there's always been this or well, recently there has been this idea of the cartel of the, the greedy six of of everyone v them you know 14 v 6 the 14 collective, brave, small clubs, smaller clubs anyway, and then the six greedy ones who would cancel the league if they could for a few extra million quid. I'm just not so sure where Newcastle United fit into that. And if you look, we don't have who voted for against this um, this tightening of the Associated Party rules, but I'm going to assume Manchester City and Newcastle were the two clubs who who didn't vote. I could be wrong, but it's an assumption. Where do you think Newcastle fit into the, the Premier League landscape these days mate in terms of who's on whose side is it is it seven v the rest is it six v the rest is that too simplistic mate I mean the
3: simplest way to look at it is Newcastle United or whatever the self-interest of Newcastle United necessitates them to be right now we are not at the same table as those big clubs we don't have the same turnover I think I'm right in saying we're something like seven times smaller just in sort of general terms for how much money the club was bringing in I think we were halfway to Spurs who'd like left us by who we were ahead of when Ashley came in so right now You know, we want these rules relaxed. We want to talk about competition. We want to talk about how unfair it is that these clubs can effectively pull a ladder up behind them after they've effectively drank so deeply from this almost unlimited pool of money as the Premier League has boomed from being just sort of like a breakaway from the First Division in the 90s to the most sort of profitable and money-orientated sports league in the world. We want you know we will talk about how unfair it is to change these rules to stop us doing it and how it's sort of anti-competitionist that and the other but again these clubs are doing this because they are motivated by their ability to make money and they don't want to have to compromise on that and make less because there's now another club that needs to you know, dr- you know drink from the same competition pots as they do and as soon as we get there we will absolutely want that ladder pulled up behind us as well because if I, I I co- right now, there isn't a sort of nation state on the planet with more money to spend than Saudi Arabia, but perhaps that changes, and they want to go buy Tottenham, or I'll just do a guy Everton or something like that. We're absolutely not going to want them to be able to just throw money at it and get you know get get themselves into the same sort of level as us if we've had to work that hard to get there. So right now, I do I do feel exactly like it's Newcastle United and the rest of the league versus the quote-unquote greedy six, but that's until we make it the greedy seven.
1: Fair enough. And that, you know, that that makes a lot a lot of sense. And I suppose to come back to you, mate, then is, <laughs> do you want to be part of the greedy seven? Absolutely. <laughs> is that, they, is, they is it essential? Is it essential? Yeah. Well,
3: the thing is, you said there, like the one bit of objective, the one sort of peek through the window we've had of PIF's objectives is they want the club to be worth 10 times what they paid for it, Right. Now that's not, they want the club to be worth 10 times what they paid for it for a couple of years and then those to be at seven or eight times what they paid for it as we sort of like naturally circle out and this, that and the other. If they get there, they want to stay there. And these clubs are doing this because they want to protect their interest. They want to protect their position. In some cases, they've got shareholders they need to satisfy. Like if the value of their football club reduces, the people at the very top of that, that club line to lose their jobs. Like their entire salary their entire reason for being in that position is to ensure that these clubs do not see an off the field reduction in their standing and the great thing about football is the only way you either improve or uh, worsen your standing off the field is by what you do on the field so you know they are motivated to make sure that doesn't happen and we will be in that position as well and this gets onto a much wider thing of like how is this football club going to change when football club changes, and we already see now all well, the carry on with ticketing, you know, you know, this should go to fans and that should go to fans. And I remember seeing the the furor when they were talking about putting those ridiculous double bed seats with a television screen in, just in case, and all this. The club's gonna change, and and I don't particularly look with envious eyes at Manchester United fans or Chelsea fans and say, God, I wish I was living that particular existence. But there will be a sweet spot. Between where we are now and when we are potentially one of the biggest football clubs in the world, where it's absolutely fantastic, and if you're not if you're not doing this for that particular part of the journey, I don't I don't know why anyone's doing it.
1: Well said. Um, it, it it is interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, like you said, it could be a whole different podcast about who the football club exists for and its ultimate purpose. Does it exist? Yeah to keep branches in its own community and be accessible to local people. I think all of us, most of us listening uh, would say yes, but that probably isn't the primary objective of the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, just as it isn't the primary desire of the Glazer family or uh, John Henry and his guys at Liverpool, though, to be fair to them, they seem to have done a, a, you know, they've maybe, maybe held that, balance better than better than many. Um as I come to you mate because this this is a good one to come back to you on because you know you articulated in your answer before about feelings of discomfort about what Newcastle United need to do um and in, a, in an overall Premier League sense I do I personally feel mate that there is maybe a simplification of the relationship between these six clubs in particular because I honestly be, believe and it's easy for me to say ignore the super league but please ignore the super league for now. I don't know if there's loads that Manchester City and Arsenal agree on. I really don't. I, I don't know if there's loads. I think Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal may be agreeing a lot. I think there's probably a lot Chelsea and Manchester United disagree on. Um, maybe these, these clubs do have more in common than they have uh, with Crystal Palace or Luton Town or, or Newcastle United or something like that. But I do feel like the, the efforts that we saw or didn't see, we heard about them, we read about them, we got annoyed about them when the first iteration of the takeover failed uh, or was delayed, and we heard about Liverpool and Spurs and Arsenal being the big three that really did not want this to happen. It happened, and you could argue their worst fears came true because within 18 months, Newcastle United took a spot in the Champions League. Um, do you think, as it's inevitable, that Newcastle United and Manchester City, because of the because they are essentially um, state projects, do you think it's inevitable that they they will have the same objectives, have the same aims, and that you could you could see us break up this idea of a, a cartel or, or a big six purely in terms of their uh, Premier League voting rights and relationships? I mean, rather than on the pitch.
4: Yeah, it's a difficult one to answer because we only hear these kind of uh, these news articles kind of secondhand, don't we? And apparently, in the last meeting where they were in a room for two days, there was a lot of tension amongst them. So it feels like quite there's quite a lot of kind of fractious kind of relationships going on there, and it's supposed to be like a democratic vote, right? So it's like majority rules, you know, in terms of voting, and like any democracy, you're not going to get universal agreement on everything. Um, it's interesting because Manchester City and Newcastle, again, from what we read, have quite have a lot more in common than a lot of the other clubs when it comes to voting, voting through things. And again, as Adam said, they're going to be voting for their own self interests um but but those two clubs are in very very different positions you know we'd love to be where manchester city are right now and we are uh, the truth is we're a million miles away from those big six clubs i mean you mentioned earlier around the relaxing of psr rules I mean, i was reading the other day that uh it was actually in the chronicles uh on the chronicles website when i when i managed to get through all the pop-ups and all the all the crap on my website i did manage to see uh that, that, that we're looking to go in towards the uh, the UEFA rules, around 70% squad to turnover ratio, um, which is interesting because based on the 22, 23 figures, uh, we would not have a ratio of 70%. We, we, we would not have a ratio of 80% or 90%. We'd have a ratio of 107.6%. So if those rules came in place, that goes to show how much we're spending versus how much we're bringing in. And um, yeah, any rules that the the other clubs could take advantage of to keep us where we are, to keep us at arm's distance, to to make sure that ratio uh, cannot be kind of decreased, uh, will you know? um, I'm sure they'll take advantage of it because why not? You know, it's again, it's strange because we're asking for again, I mentioned around like a, a democratic vote, right? But each and every Club is voting in their own self-interest and not necessarily for the good of the overall uh, status of the the twenty teams. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there are there are lots of um, there is a lot of commonality between us and Man City, but it's difficult to know because uh, yeah, th- there's such a diverse ownership now amongst all of the clubs. You know, you see like Sheffield United, Burnley, Crystal Palace now. Uh, apparently have switched sides. So um, we don't quite know, we don't have any context around like, what is it like? Uh, What are these allegiances about? Uh, What do they have in common? What do they disagree with? Um, It was interesting that this particular, the, the third party transaction rule that they're now tightening up on, they tried to proactively do before the January transfer window and we all assumed that was gonna go through and it didn't. And again, we didn't really get a lot of context as to why. So it's difficult to answer that one, Alex. But w- one thing I would say is that we've got a long, long way to go before we are like buddying up with Manchester City as like, hey, you know, we're the two big super clubs, and you know, we're going to kind of go against everyone else.
2: I don't think to answer your question, Alex, that we've suddenly like thrown ourselves into the greedy six. Um, but I'm under no illusion that if a European Super League was to be broached as an idea tomorrow, I'm fairly confident. PIF would be interested in trying to get themselves into that European Super League. Um, On the flip side of that, um, you could argue that Chelsea are no longer a part of that greedy six because they've spent loads of money and it hasn't worked. Um, So, have we, or Aston Villa or Brighton, have we now made it into a much bigger cohort of clubs and therefore um, West Ham to a certain extent? Like have have we now split ourselves? So there's like nine or ten clubs who know that they're probably going to finish in the top half or around the top half, and everybody else is kind of cut adrift to fight against relegation. Um, I don't think we've got that all that much in common with clubs like say Brighton, who maybe were voting against it because they've done really really well out of bringing players across from South America, putting them at some of their uh, feeder clubs, and then, or sorry, not feeder clubs, associated clubs, and then bringing them across to the Premier League. Um, Newcastle haven't done that because Newcastle haven't got another club. We can't send people a gatehead for uh, six weeks and then and then say, right, okay, yeah, you're pretty good, come and play for us. Um, I don't, I don't really, I, I do understand why we're voting the same way as Manchester City, and the reason is because we're the two clubs who stand to benefit the most about. How are things are changing. As a stats were pretty good, that one hundred and seven point three was it for the difference between our wages and turnover, like Yeah, point six? But who's counting? Oh, I'm sorry, one hundred and seven point six. I was pissing honestly. Um, but uh, the interesting thing about that is that obviously doesn't include the seller deal, which started twenty three twenty four. Won't include the Adidas deal, which starts twenty four twenty five. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of impact they have on bringing that down, because they're apparently the two biggest kind of situations. For Newcastle in terms of revenue drivers, Um, I don't want to get onto the hot topic that is ticketing, but uh, you know we have to be prepared for the fact that the football club, if it wants to move on, I think we've talked about this loads of times. What it does about ticketing—that's one of the easiest ways it can change its revenue. I really, I really don't want us to go the same way as like Man United and other clubs, but. When Adam was talking there before and saying, like, you know, if you're not in this for that and the glory moments, what are you in it for? Well, that's a good point because, you know what, from 92 to 2001, I would have loved it if we'd had a nine year period where we won the league six or seven times, won a Champions League, got this European got Champions League semi finals a few times. Like, you'd love that sort of situation. And uh, other football clubs have been able to do that. Man City have been able to spend their way through um, revenue streams. They've been able to spend their way at the top. And I think. Uh, you know, Chelsea are being investigated now for whatever they were doing with the Bramwiches' money. But um, the the knock-on the knock on impact is that we're having to be super, super, super careful. And I think that's what upsets us the most. Isn't that, like, these rules are being brought in, okay? They're being brought in, that apply to everybody. Is that uh, the spotlight always... And I know we say, is this a persecution complex? But the spotlight appears to be on us because we're the new money. We're not the old money who've had the opportunity to take advantage of the old rules. We're the new money. And we could really take advantage of the old system. And the new system appears to be working against us. Realistically, we've got as much in common with Brighton, Aston Villa, Wolves, as we've got in common with Arsenal. But we don't want to see ourselves as that. We want to see ourselves as a top six club. And that is why we will we will do anything that is within the rules to make sure that we get to be a top six club. And in the future, probably we'll look to spend our way through correct means to become a top six club permanently. That would be my view on it.
1: Yeah, interesting, mate. And and yeah, I agree. I think one of the one of the really interesting things about moving forward is that they, ha- they haven't banned uh, associated party transactions, whether that's because they know legally it wouldn't stand up or they, 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 they think it would piss off certain clubs too much. Um, it, it, I don't know. But they haven't banned them by them tightening them again, suggests that since they brought in the rule, certain clubs aren't happy with what has been allowed. And whether it's Newcastle United and Sela or Saudi Airways, or whether it's nothing to do with Newcastle, I have no idea. But like you said Audie, or all of you have said, all of us have said, it is tempting just to be like, they're out together. It's all about us. For so, I'm not saying no one had a problem with it when it was Man City, but they certainly didn't get their act together like they did when it was Manchester City. And it wasn't just Man City, you know, Leicester City, had um also, you know that, that kind of relationship with associated party stadium sponsorship and all of that kind of stuff there was a few different clubs that benefited from it but the the collective you know the, almost the opposite of what the Premier League will normally normally do is that they got something done very very quickly and, and almost unanimously um when Newcastle United were taken over it does lead you to the conclusion that this is a large part if not solely a Newcastle United endeavor and the fact that they're not banned, leaves the door open a little bit. And if we go back to that Amazon documentary, I assume that Nicast United and Peter Silverstone were able to demonstrate that they spoke to eleven hundred, nearly twelve hundred companies and you know, sixty-five separate companies were interested enough in being front of shirt sponsor with Newcastle United that they held meetings and nine kind of got through to the final process and they ended up with seller a reported twenty five million pound a season, which was twenty million pound more than I can't even remember who the previous guys were, but whoever they were, um you know, that, that suggests that Newcastle have played along the rules. Um, Amanda Staveley, and again, this is all for television cameras and it's all been edited, but Amanda Staveley showing that concern. Okay, is this, you know, is that going to get us through because it's associated party and you know, this kind of very carefully packaged and intelligent way of displaying this. Maybe it wasn't so much for our benefit, maybe it was for, you know, wider football fan Premier League benefit. I've got no idea whether Premier League executives or other clubs would watch something like this, probably because they're all kind of uh, interested in looking at themselves I suppose and, and or seeing how competitors work my final question for you lads um I'll start with with you as on this one what what does the next couple of years hold your point earlier in this podcast about Eddie Howe you know Eddie Howe's press conferences as already touched on they can be full of misdirection that's me being kind there's another word for them um full of misdirection and I think there's a couple of times this season where he's been really honest and it hasn't really been picked up on. And I remember when Rafa Benitez was asked at the start of the 18-19 season, like, why do you play five at the back? Why, why Why? don't we touch the ball when we went 11 games without a win? And he said, I don't want to play like this. I don't want to play like this. I have to. Um, now, when we're near that situation, and Newcastle could still have a very good season, have beaten some very good teams this season, played some very good football. But there was a game recently when Eddie Howe was possibly Manchester City was asked about how Newcastle set up, and he said, yeah, that's not how I want to set the team up, but needs must, and we have to give ourselves the best chance. And that was so un-Eddie Howe from last season, who would never take a step back, who never wanted to be negative, who never wanted to give anyone an inch. And we've now gone 12 months, and it could be injuries, it could be fatigue, it could be both, it could be something else, it could be all of those things. You do get a sense that there has been a readjustment of the aims from even whenever that was recorded, that documentary, and it, it aired in, was it June maybe, um, with the chairman saying they want to make Newcastle United 10 times the size or to have 10 times the value. Now that door has not been closed but has been shut ever tighter about related party transactions. Where does the club go for me? It's a very broad question, and I'm asking you for short answers, all of you here, but where does the club, the club go here, You know, considering this news and considering this conversation, in your in your view, mate?
4: Well, I'll take your Rafa Benitez and I'll I'll, I'll up you, uh, Kevin Keegan, but I'll get there in a minute. Uh, with Eddie Howe, though, um, it's interesting because uh, before the January transfer window, I think he was quite clear that he expected at least one or two signings to come through the door. And not only did that not happen, but he we also almost apparently lost one or two players as well. And he also said that that kind of disrupted things a little bit for a week. So... Um, you can kind of understand that he's willing to be a bit more candid now the window's shut. shut. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's slightly concerning because all the all the messaging, you know, pre that documentary and in that documentary was that, you know, we were looking to go places quickly. Uh, where it leaves us now, though, is quite simple. Uh, we have to maximize every single avenue of, of revenue we can. Uh, it's difficult because St James's Park, as much as I love it and as much as I think it's the best stadium in the country, doesn't bring us much outside of you know match day. And you look at Spurs, and they've just they've just signed a deal with F one to have like go kiting under the under the stadium and all sorts of other clever stuff to bring in more money. We don't have that, so you know we have to be we have to to box clever. We have to be better sellers. Uh, and more astute buyers. Uh, so we have to, you know, if we have to sell a Bruno uh, Guimaraes, if we have to, if we have to sell a Lewis Miley, uh, you know, for for a decent uh, uh, amount, and that's what we have to do. We have to take advantage of our, of our academy players. Either bring them in and bed them into the team, or start selling them. Um, you know, a bit like Man City and Chelsea do. I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. Um, and we have to find ways to maximise commercial revenue. Um, you know, particularly tied to the stadium. But just in any way we can, um, we have to potentially go on more lucrative summer tours. Uh, we just have to be smarter in every department and just just keep, just to keep up with these clubs. Um, it, it, it's difficult, but I'd like the club to do things sustainably anyway. Uh, I don't know how much it would sit comfortably with me if we just copied in some way uh, what the likes of Man City and Chelsea had done. I like the fact that we are taking a much more strategic, smarter, more palatable Um, you know, approach to growth. Now on to Kevin Keegan. So 15 years ago, uh, Kevin Keegan said this, and I'm sure you guys, uh, these are words that will uh, ring true to you. So uh, I'll read out the quote. It was post-Chelsea. He said, what have I got to do next year to get near them? And the answer is there's nothing I can do at all. And the fans know that I haven't got enough money. I won't have enough money to do it because they're spending a lot of money. But also I won't be able to get those players. So it's difficult. So I'm going to have to soldier on with the ones I've got. Maybe add one or two, maybe three, depending on what money is available. It is frustrating. I'm looking there and thinking, what can I change? I see Shevchenko come on, Lampard come on, and maybe the owner here thinks we can bridge that gap, but you know, we can't. And I remember hearing that as a fan and absolutely dying inside. And probably from that moment on to the takeover day, like hopes were low. Hopes are so low and we're not there, right? We have an ownership who are, you know, the polar opposite to that and they'll do everything we can, they can to, to help grow this club. So I, I, I guess I want to leave things on a positive note to say, you know, uh, it could be a lot worse. We could be kind of go back 15 years, those dark old Mike Ashley days where all the hope was sort of sucked out of us through that one post-match interview by Kevin Keegan.
3: Do you know what, I actually remember that exact same interview as, and I remember hearing it and being really confused because we were only, I want to say, about four or five years removed from feeling like we were genuine title challengers if the chips had fallen right. And to hear that from Kevin Keegan, of all people, in the gap between sort of that last real push we had at winning the league in, say, like 2002, 2003, to that, genuinely just sort of like, it, re- it sat with me as well as like, oh my God, he, he's right. Like, and even I was a much younger man back then, but even then I realized, like, wow, you do have to be super, super rich to go and do that. And we're not. And you're right up until the takeover. That's always kind of how I felt. I would just like to completely disagree with every other word you said, though. I actually don't want to see us do anything smartly or sustainably or buy well or sell or develop this or that. Like that. I would just like to see us break the rules 115 times to get exactly to where we need to be, and then just do it in a way that allows us to get away with it completely. Um, it's, you will think maybe that's an original, ingenious idea. I have taken it from elsewhere, but we'll not. We'll, we'll leave that for now. Um, that's not one of mine. I can't take the credit. But what we need to do, uh, basically, as fans, is just like be aware of how this works, like where we are this season, whether we finish. Two places higher, two places lower than we are now has been positive and success and improvement and development is not linear. Like, if you'd sat anybody down the year after the, the, the takeover and said, next two seasons, fourth and eighth, how, how would that be? You'd say it was brilliant. And I said, well, okay, do you care what order that's in? You'd still say, no, I don't care. That's absolutely brilliant. So, that's if that's where we are there, then fantastic. Um, one final thing I would say. And I'm not sure how much of this I'm supposed to know or how much of it I'm supposed to talk about. That legislation, the Premier League sort of governing body, is is being it is coming in like it's being run as a shadow part of the government where it's going to effectively, you know, uh, be operated as if it is real without any actual power. So they'll trial it. They'll know exactly what to do every time something happens. They'll look at how they would have processed that. They'll look at what they would have done. They'll do trials of that and the other, and then almost certainly it will just have the switch. Flipped once it's a fully functioning department, and, and it will come in. And the difference with that is, we look now and we're like, well, why are they voting for this? Why are they changing this? Why are they changing that? It'll not be within the government's remit to protect Manchester United or to protect Liverpool or to protect Chelsea. Then it will be to protect competition and to look at what could potentially bring in the most money um, for that independent body. And if that is, if the situation is, is Castle United can spend whatever whatever they want, they'll then replace, say, Chelsea. And they'll bring in more money that way, then we'll almost certainly be allowed to do it. So what, what the future holds is very difficult to predict. But as fans, I think we just need to be prepared that we're, ne- we're never going to have a Rubinho or a Carlos Tevez like mad out of nowhere signing. Like this, the improvement and the, the progression will be slow and it will be, uh, what's the word I want? Not insane.
2: I'm going to slightly disagree with Adam and say we might have already had our crazy out-of-nowhere signing, which was probably Bruno Gimaraes, because I don't think anybody thought when we bought him that he was going to be as good as he was. Okay, he's not like Rubinho and doing little keepy-ups on the corner and trying to nutmeg players left, right and centre. But I can just remember him coming on, I think it was against Everton at home, and he, he was on for five, ten minutes. And I can remember walking out that ground saying a few people like, he might be the best midfielder we've ever had. And I've only sure. seen him for ten minutes. Um and he's done little to dissuade me of it since, uh, which is difficult. To, I mean, obviously, after Saturday, it's to say, where do I think we'll go over the next few years? To build on Ezra's point, I don't think we'll be at St. James's Park um, because an easy way to spend the money is you can do a capital investiture. Um, and I know that's not necessarily uh, party-related, but it means that the club can spend money and it can drive revenue up by doing things a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, on top of that, what do I think will happen in terms of related party ownership and, and our our role within it? Well, look, I think we'll test the rules. I don't think there'll be any doubt that at various points we will be pushing back against some of these, saying, well, prove it's not fair market value. Uh, prove we don't deserve that amount of investment. Um, and we've already kind of started to do that. Like you mentioned Alex the seller deal. Like we don't know what went on, but they've obviously had to show something to prove it was market value. And if that's an extra £20 million a year, like, I don't think anyone went, oh yeah, you finished fourth once, so yeah, 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 that's £20 million a year extra you're going to get. Like They've obviously put something in front of them to say, well, these companies were prepared to pay this, this, and this, and we've gone with this because it's the best deal. Um, I think also what we'll probably see is more low-key uh, companies being brought in with us that bring in small amounts of investment and do things like sponsor wheels or sponsor tacos or sponsor whatever because – That's what Man United have done. They've gone around the world and they've sold themselves as the branded tyre or the branded mobile phone or whatever. And that's what we'll end up doing. We'll end up saying to, I don't know, O2, right, do you want to do something on here or whatever it might be or a car company or whatever? And that will be the next step because they'll find a way around it because the people who run businesses like Newcastle United and people who work for PIF, They're not stupid. You've only got to look at LIV golf and what's happened to it. Now the PGA Tour is trying to bend round to get the forward investment. They're clever enough to know that they want the money, they need the money, and they'll find ways to get the money. And the reality is that probably, hopefully, we will be one of those clubs who push back against these rules and we might benefit not only in terms of league position, hopefully, but also in terms of we might see better footballers play for Newcastle United.
3: Hey, Audi, I tell you what, can you imagine how much money we could have made this season if we'd had an official injury sponsor?
5: <laughs> <laughs> Booper.
3: We'd never have to worry about profit and sustainability ever again, would we?
2: But that's, that's, that goes back to, I mean, if you think about Everton, and I, I know you want, but if you look at Everton, Everton have been absolutely done over by Usmanov's, um Companies being frozen, his assets being frozen. That's what's done for Everton because they could rely on someone who had additional money outside the company being prepared to throw money into that into that business. And you know Newcastle thankfully aren't reliant on that at the moment. We will be able to find companies who want to invest in Newcastle because we're on an upward trajectory. We are not standing still. We're not fighting to finish seventeenth. We're not ticking over, ticking along, whatever. We're fighting to be in the top six and people want to be involved in that because a bit like Wrexham, once you go on an upward trajectory and it gains momentum, everybody wants to jump on board with it. And we've already seen that with us.
1: Brilliant points, lads. And and you've all kind of touched on my point, which is it's not so much where Newcastle are in three years, it's where this absolutely mental football league is in three years. Look at look at what's happened in the last three years. You had Project Big Picture which caused an uproar. You've had the European Super League, which hasn't gone away. You've then had teams deducted points. You've had teams investigated. There has been 115 charges. Will Man City be in the league in three years' time? Will they be in Alive Newcastle United? Probably not, because they might not be here. Will they sue the Premier League out of existence? There is so much going on, and, and more than ever before, at a political level, football has become the culture. It's, not, it's no longer a pastime or a hobby like it was for a century. And it was important and people cared about it a great deal. But it is now English-British culture. It is at the forefront. It's bigger than the music. It's bigger It's bigger than anything in the country. There isn't anything in the country like the Premier League. And it's becoming a huge political topic. And if you look at uh, the Everton example, and you know Chelsea also in, under investigation, Forrester under investigation, how many teams in one division can be in, under investigation by its own by its own league we've got four we've got a fifth of all clubs at the minute and that's before we got Newcastle United who the rest of the league seem to dislike strongly y- you know the, the 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 league is is incredibly is incredibly unstable in my view which is bad for business and and before the reasons that adam uh, articulated very well about the regulator coming in who knows and i, I think the smart move for Newcastle United is to just hang in there. To just like Adam said, don't don't buy some mental player who ruins everything. Don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um if we can stay competitive in and around that top six, if we can have an injury-free season next season, you don't know where half these clubs are going to be in a couple of years' time. You know, this guy who's come into Manchester United, what if that doesn't work out you know when takeovers happen and this happened to Evan, no one ever thinks what if this doesn't work? What then? Um, you have supposed to ha- have had and had coming uh, a complete reformat of the owners and directors tests. Has it happened? Why hasn't it happened? What are we waiting for? Will it apply to existing owners? There's just so many unanswered questions at Premier League level. That's before you get on the UEFA. UEFA are their own whole other you know, level of crazy batshit stuff and instability and the the continued presence of the Super League and. Barcelona potentially going out of business. There's just so much going on in, in European football right now that it might just be a matter of waiting for Newcastle United, being smart, being prudent, and um, not upsetting the apple cart. And the interesting thing about all of this to bring us back to the start of the conversation is it's Man City who are either allegedly threatening to sue or are suing the league about these this change in associate party rules, not Newcastle United. And like you said earlier, Audi. Man City, they've, they've got the least to lose because they've got the revenue. The revenue is there. It's historic now. They've got the players. They've got the manager. They've got the stadium. They've got the expanded farmers, They've got all those things that we thought we'd have or thought and think we might have, but they seem more worried about it than ever. Now, there could be lots of reasons for that. We don't know. But the fact that Newcastle United don't seem to go down the the threatening route, the scandal route, the Sioux route, suggests, uh, and I'm not trying to be needlessly biased towards my own Football Club, I've got no idea how the people who run the football club think or act or behave uh, about this anyway and I just think they're playing a long game and I think they're, they're playing it smart because Man City are happy to burn every single bridge, Man City seem the most likely to, to not need the Premier League, to not want the Premier League based on their behaviour because they're facing 115 charges and they might not be in the league for that much longer. Newcastle United aren't Man City and Newcastle United don't have those problems currently and I think the restriction on associated party transactions um is probably something the united saw coming anyway in respect of lining up adidas for example like you said already there are other ways to get money into the football club what is adidas's relationship with uh, with saudi arabia that that that's something that's touched on online how relevant is that to that deal i've no idea i've no idea but what I do know is it's going to bring a shitload of money into Newcastle United that they previously didn't have, and that's the only thing that matters right now And keeping us competitive and keeping us on the tails of the clubs who who fear us, essentially. Well, we've done nearly 55 minutes, and I'm absolutely delighted that we had that conversation. Thanks to Adam, as and Audio, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. We'll be back with you post-Bournemouth, hopefully when Newcastle smash them and go into sixth place. Speak to you all then. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Asper's Casino Newcastle, home of the four-pound pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble-aware, over-18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Be drink-aware, and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?